possibly the most famous story in the Bible. Easily one of the most beautiful and most moving. It's the story of a young man turning his back on his father. A young man taking his portion of his father's inheritance and squandering it in profligate living. And of a young man then returning home so as to work as one of his father's servants, only to be greeted by his father with a loving embrace and told that he will always be his son. It's a story of love and joy and reconciliation. It's a story of immense beauty and rousing emotion. And if only the story stopped there. But it doesn't. Because just after this beautiful moment of reconciliation, the camera then cuts to the young man's older brother who's out working in the field. And we can picture him there, his face strewn with sweat, caked with mud, suddenly hearing the sounds of celebration in the distance. And we can see him stopping what he's doing and walking to the house, his steps getting quicker the closer he gets. The text tells us, quote, he hears the music and the dancing and therefore asks one of his father's servants what's going on, only to learn that which he's already inferred which is that his younger brother is good-for-nothing, lazy, wasteful, sorry excuse for a younger brother has finally come back home. And so then in the next scene, we see the older brother standing with their father. We see these two together just outside the house, the music and the dancing and the joy of the celebration indoors, palpable there outside, just in the background. And we see the son asking his father what he's thinking, reminding his father of all that his brother has done. And we watch the scene unfold and we feel ourselves sympathizing with this older brother. Identifying with him even. For who among us has not been in a similar situation? Feeling cheated and angered and embittered. Knowing ourselves to be on the wrong end of an act of unfairness and injustice. Knowing ourselves to have been the ones who did all the work while someone else just coasted by. I know I have. It's infuriating. And again, if only the parable stopped there. But again, it doesn't. For then the older brother finally expresses the root of his emotion, the root, the origin, the derivation of his anger and his bitterness. For all these years, 
he begins. We can hear him, right? He's been waiting with this one. For all these years, I've been working like a servant for you, and I have never disobeyed you. Yet you've never given me so much as a goat to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, and listen to that language, when this son of yours comes back, you kill the fattened calf for him. And right there, right there with these words, right there with this monologue, suddenly what was once a story about love and grace and forgiveness and reconciliation tragically becomes a story about envy and bitterness and competitiveness and rivalry. And thus, what was once a story about God's unfathomable love for us tragically becomes a story about our lack of love for one another. Which leads me to Robert Louis Stevenson's classic novel, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. In this famous story... Stevenson's Dr. Jekyll concocts a potion that enables him to turn into an alter ego through whom he can indulge his deepest vices and pursue his most evil impulses. And that alter ego's name, of course, is Edward Hyde. Well, as the story unfolds, Dr. Jekyll begins to grow more and more horrified by the calamitous things that he's been doing while under the spell of Edward Hyde. So ultimately, Dr. Jekyll resolves to make up for all the evil that he, as Edward Hyde, has been doing. And so he goes about engaging in good deeds. That is, he begins working diligently to serve others and to do what's right. In other words, he becomes committed to do-goodery. His aim essentially being to even the scorecard between what he's done right and what he's done wrong. Well, so it is that one afternoon, after a prolonged period of do-goodery, Dr. Jekyll finds himself sitting in Regent's Park, quietly and to himself, reflecting on all the good that he's been doing lately, when suddenly something remarkable happens. And here is how Stevenson's narration captures this remarkable moment. I want you to listen closely. In first person, as Dr. Jekyll hears Stevenson writes, and I quote, But as I smiled, comparing myself with others, comparing my active goodwill with the lazy cruelty of others' neglect, at the very moment of that thought, a qualm came over me, a horrid nausea and the most dreadful shuddering. I looked down, and I was once more Edward Hyde. You follow that? 
for the very first time in the novel, Dr. Jekyll becomes Edward Hyde without drinking the potion. In other words, through his own self-absorption, because of the perverse joy he now receives by comparing his goodness over against others. Through that he becomes again the evil self that he's lately been working so hard to overcome. The pride born by reflecting on how much better he is than others renders him suddenly worse than them all. It's a deeply profound scene. It's a deeply insightful scene. And here's why I bring it up this morning. I bring it up because the very thing that turns Jekyll into Hyde is also the very thing that prevents the older brother from celebrating his younger brother's return. Beyond that, I bring it up because the very thing that prevents the older brother from celebrating the younger brother's return also happens to be the very thing that so often prevents us ourselves from truly knowing joy. Which leads me to Mark Twain, who very famously wrote, Comparison is the death of joy. Comparison is the death of joy. Think about that for a moment. It's true. Meanwhile, listen to how C.S. Lewis elaborates on this same point, this same idea in mere Christianity. Again, I quote, We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes one proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of comparison has gone, pride has gone. End quote. And that leads us back to the older brother. There is no question that the older brother is justified in where he's coming from. Let's face it, the younger brother doesn't deserve to be reconciled to his father. The younger brother doesn't deserve the unconditional love he receives. The, un, the younger brother doesn't deserve the celebration that is thrown in his honor. Thus the older brother deserves to feel angry and bitter and resentful about what's happening. But here's the thing. The beautiful, horrible, intolerable, unavoidable thing about Christian faith 
It's simply not based on just desserts. Unlike everything else in our human experience, Christian love, by its very definition, is not based on just desserts. Which means that in the end, Christian love does not and cannot lend itself to questions of comparison. It's never about who deserves it the most. For the simple reason, the simple bedrock reason, that Christianity teaches us that no one deserves it. But that nonetheless, everyone in Christ receives it. It's an easy thing to say, but it's a far more difficult truth to accept than we as Christians often care to think about. But to embrace this difficult truth, to really embrace it, that is to say to orient our lives around it, is to open ourselves up to love and joy and peace and wholeness while to resist it is inevitably inevitably to experience anger and bitterness and envy and resentment and that is the great tragedy of this parable an opportunity for joy right there in front of him The older brother is so full of bitterness he refuses to take it. A grand party happening right there in his own house. He's so full of resentment he can't even enter it. It's not that he's wrong in thinking his brother doesn't deserve that celebration. He doesn't. It's wrong only in thinking that he does. And that is why the parable of the prodigal son remains such a powerful story. Because it is the story of all of us. Sometimes we are the younger brother, going astray and needing to ask for forgiveness. Sometimes we are the older brother, so busy comparing ourselves that we don't appreciate what we already have. Sometimes we are Edward Hyde, wreaking havoc upon everyone and everything in our path. Sometimes we are Dr. Jekyll, patting ourselves on the back simply because we are not Mr. Hyde. Dear family, living a life faithful to Christ is about remembering that we are both of them, both Jekyll and Hyde, both younger brother and old, both unworthy and yet fiercely loved anyway. The kingdom of God is like Such is the title of this sermon series, The Kingdom of God is Like. And from this famous parable, we learn this. 
that the kingdom of God is like a celebration that we are all invited to. Not because we are worthy of the invitation, but simply because the host loves us anyway. Just as we learn this from this famous parable, that all are invited to this celebration. And it's we who choose whether or not to hear the music and start dancing. So would that we'd strive to become a little more graceful and a little less grudge-bearing. Would that we'd cease comparing and start communing. Would that we'd hear the music and then rather than stand outside angry, would that we choose to enter the dance and celebrate. Amen.